All right. I am uh, recording live from Columbus, Ohio today. I just uh, just drove a little over seven hours. Never been to Columbus. I can't remember. I, I'm about 20 minutes from the campus of Ohio State. I'm not going to make it there. But it's the only thing I know that's in in Columbus, so I'm here to do another USPTA pickleball certification, but the most important part I've done today is my first stop when I got here with Skyline Chili, which is the greatest fast food, I guess, place on earth, or Gold Star. I don't know which is first. I like them the same, but if you're from Ohio or the Midwest or you've been to Cincinnati for the tournament, you've had to have had Skyline or Gold Star. And I think it's interesting because a lot of people don't like it at all, and others love it, like myself. So I've got family in Cincinnati, and growing up, every time we would go, I had to get Skyline. And so I still do that. Headed towards 50 years old, it's still a highlight of mine. And fortunately, my hotel has a Skyline about two minutes away. So that was my first stop. I had a three-way and two chili dogs and some sweet tea, and it was glorious. So if you're listening and you have a um, a preference on Skyline or Gold Star, or you absolutely hate it, which a lot of people, like I mentioned, do, let me know. I'm curious, but it's an amazing place, and the sweet tea was spectacular today. Um, so that also led me to... What are your go-to hotel snacks? So as a kid, I think all kids, I did it. My kids did it. You go to a hotel, it's a big deal. I still enjoy a hotel because it's clean and you don't have to do anything. And maybe you get free breakfast like I do in the morning. But what are your go-to hotel snacks? So I drove, long drive, got my Skyline, got some gas so I'm ready to leave tomorrow. And I had to have hotel snacks. I did skip any soda so I could sleep. But my hotel snacks of choice today, as you know, if you know me or have listened to any of my podcasts, I um, I cannot pass up anything Little Debbie or Hostess. So I've got Hostess chocolate cupcakes, the ones filled with the whatever's it's the whatever the greatness they fill it with. It's terrible for me, and I've got a double decker oatmeal cream pie from Little Debbie. And Little Debbie's the greatest baker ever. What are your what are your go to's? I already had chips. I ate a lot. I'm I'll have to update my weight sometime soon. I just don't even want to know. But what's your go to? Is it um like Twizzlers were always ours, some kind of chips. Um and then what's your go to to find on T V? I currently have um Below Deck Australia, I think is on some dumb TV. I'm going to try to find cops later because cops is always on or something like it. That's my go-to. I'm going to watch some sports. But when you get to the hotel, what is your snacks? You're done for the day. You're not leaving your room. What are you eating? I know what I'm eating. Anything chocolate. So my last two hours have been stuffing my fat face with Skyline, and then I'm done with this podcast I'm going to stuff my even fatter face with Hostess and Little Debbie's. So that's where I'm at. Also, 
I am putting these on, as I mentioned before, I'm putting these on my YouTube channel. I can't really call it a channel. It's, I don't do much with it. It's just a place I put things that I don't want to lose. Um, so I've started video recording these, posting them. There's no big production value or explanations. It's just straight me sitting in a hotel. So if you want to see how I do things, you can watch that too. But it's not very exciting. It's me sitting at the hotel desk. But you can check it out there. Let's get to the uh, nuts and bolts. I don't have a ton. I'm also highly unprepared because I brought my stuff and decided to have the time. I've got a short list, but not a lot of detail to it. So I'm going to make it up as I go. Um, I wanted. I always like to go over my... I'm trying to put some questions out, mostly because I'm curious. I still am not 100% comfortable with the videos, but now I've done enough that I'm not getting made fun of crazy amount so i might as well keep doing them so i want to update because it's been a couple weeks since i've gone on come on here um stretching response i put up a a post on social media about do people stretch because i don't and the overwhelming majority was no and i was i was very surprised most of the yeses were people that had had injuries previous injuries which i discussed why i asked because i know i'm heading toward an injury at some point I've, I've been super lucky really over 30 years doing the tennis world and haven't had anything major so this came up because I know it's coming and I'm terrified of it every day but most of you told me no you've got better things to do you just want to play you want to compete and then others I had all the way to Cheryl telling me that she goes to a place to get stretched, which I didn't know exists, but apparently there are places you go and you pay another human to stretch you, which I'm highly uncomfortable with. I can tell you my massage story. I, I've had one massage in my whole life. It was in Mexico, Cancun. It was like a couple's with my wife. Um, I, I'm, no joke, sitting up elevated over the beach looking over the ocean in this like beautiful place so the setting is amazing and it was awful i couldn't stand it like it was so uncomfortable having this this lady rubbing all over me and i was laughing and i was so tense i needed a massage after the massage i just couldn't free myself up to enjoy it so i think having someone stretch me is not where I want to be in my life, but um, I 100% get why it's important and people swear by it. I'm just not ready yet, although my calf started bothering me later this week and I probably need to start. So I may start small and see where it goes. For those of you that do stretch, that's awesome. I hope it helps you and I hope someday it hits me that I need to do it more, but I think I'm going to continue to be dumb and stubborn and wait on the injury to get me and then you can all you can all make fun of me the other post i had was whether the coco um semi-final match was any good based on the number of errors again this is where i don't have my notes in front of me but there were 80 some errors in three sets and almost 20 double faults between them and neither player ever played well at the same time that was the thing that really sort of it didn't it was entertaining but i don't think it was great tennis not because they both didn't play well at certain moments but there really was never a moment where they were playing well at the same time and that's where i think we all as tennis fans 
would enjoy it better. And then you go to the Joker Medvedev final. There was about a set and a half, two sets maybe, where both were playing their best, and that was crazy exciting. It was about 3-3 in the second set on where they really got into it, and they both were playing well. And although they had a lot of errors too, I found that a little bit more entertaining because at least there was about an hour, hour and 15 minutes of them both playing well. And I didn't think, unfortunately, they didn't get to that in the women's final. But most responses for that were the same as me, entertaining drama in the women's match, um, the, obviously the American, but not necessarily a great tennis match. Um, and then lastly, the one I just posted, which thanks to my, my buddy Sean, who Sean, thanks for thanks for lunch the other day. I owe you. I got the next one. Would you rather win a match 0-0 against a great player who wasn't necessarily playing well, and you knew it. They were having an off day, and you beat them 0-0. But they're a good player. They just played like trash. Or lose a match 7-6, 6-7-7-6, where both players played amazing, and it was legendary, and people are talking about you. And it was a great question. It must be because it's the most responses I've ever had to any question I've ever posted. Most across the board on whether social media, conversations, text responses. um, That was number one. So Sean nailed it. He's now going to be my question giver. And he gave me one for next week or at some point. And the majority was lose the epic match both players playing well and it's one of those you remember forever and i i teach it's all about winning but i think i played differently when i played i don't play anymore but if i played i'm on team lose the match but man we both played well and we leave pumped like and that disappointment's not bad but it's not as bad as if you lose and play poorly so that was the majority of people just will lose the match. My buddy Vince had a good answer, and it's logical, and I agree that it for him it depends on the importance of the match. And a lot of it is, are you playing for a team? Is it a USTA league, a tournament, um, any team? Do other people are other people affected? I guess by your result. And he was sort of, if it's a league match, absolutely. Take that 6-0-6-0 win. You're winning for your team. If it's a practice match or he mentioned men's night or rec play or a league play at your club maybe, then winning, losing that close one is is, is the choice there. And I, I understand that. But I thought it was a great question, a lot of, lot of feedback. But I'm taking the loss. I love to win. I can't stand to lose. But as I've gotten older, maybe I'm much more responsible and mature seeing that I'm sitting in a hotel room by myself podcasting and eating oatmeal cream pies that's seriously mature last week I talked about um last week a couple weeks ago the origin of something that I can't remember I'm looking for it right now and I'm killing time it had something to do with the bubonic plague but I can't find it so I'm going to tell you what the the new one is that I've been told to get again by my 
friend Christina, the origin of Ring Around the Rosie, and I did not know this. And I'm going to read some of it because I did Google and copy and paste, and everything Google is correct. So the, the origin of that, that rhyme, comes from the Great Plague in England in 1665 or earlier outbreaks of the bubonic plague in England. And it's kind of an established that the sneezing and falling down versions are based on symptoms of getting the bubonic plague. The ra- a rash was a symptom, and the posies of herbs were carried as protection to ward off the smell of the disease. So you've got a pocket full of posies are actually just to ward off the smell of people dying and rotting and pretty gross, right? And sneezing and coughing was the final fatal symptom and that's where we all fall down came from is that they would finally sneeze and cough themselves to death, I suppose. And then the line ashes Ashes and ashes, well, that's easy. It refers to the cremation of the bodies and the burning houses and all. (laughs) This is the dumbest thing I've ever talked about, but I'm curious about these things. But that's where it came from. Basically, it's not a fun um, kids dancing around and then they all fall down. They were dancing around and then they all die. So keep that in your pile of absolute useless information and my friend Christina who gives me these ideas and tells me these facts unfortunately she's leaving the wax soon so good luck to you Christina with your um, your new adventure on the farm and if you ever have any cool stuff please keep telling me because I kind of like this I'm gonna do a whole podcast on these things so I'm gonna segue into back to tennis because that was really smooth and I was talking with um, some coaches at the club and about the U.S. Open and how we can make the viewing better and basically how pickleball has no chance if they can't get TV right because when you put the Open on for two weeks and you get millions of people watching, I realize how small pickleball is in the world. And again, I've always said I play it. I don't play it much, but I love coaching it. I'm, I'm pro pickleball. But when you see the U.S. Open on for two weeks with all those great athletes and the way they put every channel, every match on TV, you can watch anything unless you've got Spectrum and you guys got screwed. But what would make it better? And a couple things that came up. Why don't they just let the coaches go on court? Why keep them in the corner and the players are just always turning to them and yelling at them anyway? Just let them go on court. And when you do that, mic them so everybody can hear. And then another one that bothered me when a lot of the players, they're, they're talking to their coaches in a different language. Wouldn't it be amazing if they had some sort of way to translate what they were saying? Have translators in the booth with the McEnroe brothers. And so we can have an idea when Medvedev is screaming at his box or Joker is, what are they saying? Because we, we don't know that. We just know they're mad. But are they mad at each other? Or are they talking about? Wouldn't that be awesome? to have a, a translator and interpreter to tell us, oh, Medvedev just told his coaches to pack your stuff and get out of here. You're all fired. I think it would be an amazing way to um, 
to watch the tennis. And I just think they might as well. They got the coaches in the corner, and they're always talking to them anyway. Just put them on the bench. How cool. Every changeover, you mic them up and let the TV crowd hear them. Can't You could not do it in the stadium because you don't want the other you know, the other players to hear. But there's got to be a way to do that. So those are my two suggestions to the U.S. Open directors to let's try that. That'd be, that'd be amazing. And changing gears, sort of, I have my weekly social media question. And I just I can't figure it out. So I mentioned YouTube, and I post stuff up there, and I'm trying to be better. And now it's become sort of random stuff, things I think are interesting about the tennis life. Sometimes it's just like I posted on TikTok a video of I almost ran into a deer in the woods the other day, and it did not wasn't affected by me at all. It was within six feet of me and did not move. Just looked at me, eating its acorns or whatever deer eats. Just looking at me. We hung out, and so I post that, and I get you know random stuff like that. Pictures of my pretty coffee. It's not just tennis. Mostly is, but so I have things my up there, and especially this one's particularly specific to YouTube. And I'm not a YouTube user. I, it's not something I'm trained to go to for anything. I'm a Googler, so I go to Google, and it might send me to YouTube. But I just I don't live in that world yet. I'm trying. So I post short videos, my podcast stuff, right? And I, I, I will get zero watches. Fine. I don't really tell anybody other than this. Into the 20s for some videos, a couple higher. And then I post like a 10-second video of my closet. It was kind of a joke because if you work at the WAC, I'm guessing I'm not alone because we all wear the same stuff. But I... I have an entire closet. It's all black. Shorts, shirts, everything black. And I just thought it was funny. And I put something on there about, you know, what should I choose today? I got 1,500 views of a 10-second clip of my closet. There's no words. I'm not in it. There's no tennis. There's nothing. There's not even an explanation. And I got 1,500 And I'll get six for a podcast or whatever I post. And I cannot figure out why. I didn't do anything different. I didn't post it at like a weird time. I didn't tag things in it. Um, I don't know. And I would love for someone to tell me. And the people I ask tell me they don't know either. So if there is some social media guru out there who can tell me why, I'm not looking to get all of mine that high. I'm looking for the answer of what was so great about my video of my closet with my shirts and shorts in it. I don't understand, and I love someone to help me understand. Next up, again, I'm pretty random right now. I got super, super lucky, and I'm very fortunate to have um, a friend of mine, Judy, who's probably gardening right now as she's listening to this because she's loves gardening. She knows my feelings on it. But you go get them, Judy. Grow those things that come out of the ground. Anyway, thank you, Judy. Judy gave us, and her husband gave us, a couple of seats, second row behind home plate for the Brewers game on Sunday. And I was able to take my daughter, Molly. If you've never had seats that close, 
it's just a different way to watch baseball. It's amazing to see and hear everything that's happening. It's just you can't beat it. So I'm I'm very thankful for for my friend Judy. But I was talking to Molly, who hasn't been to a lot of Brewer games, maybe none. We couldn't remember, but so her first experience was this this close, right? We were talking about foul balls, and there's a small there's a boy in front of us in the front row probably six, seven years old, and, you know, foul, foul balls are coming around, and they don't get super close to us because we're, we're so close. It'd be almost impossible for us to get one, but a couple came close. And I was asking her about what she would do with it, whether she would give it, because I know, you know, you'll see on TV or in stadiums that you get an adult gets a foul ball. You generally, if there's a small kid next to you, you give them the ball. And so we discussed it, and I was curious, what is the etiquette of giving away a foul ball to a kid at a baseball game? So I'm, I'm an adult. I catch a foul ball, and sitting in front of me is a six-year-old who's looking at me. Do I have to, do I have to give him the ball? What's the? Uh, am I going to get booed? Am I going to end up on TV? I'm going to end up in memes. Am I required to hand the child the ball? I think I would. I'm old enough now. I've, I've, I don't have. I, mean, I might have a foul ball somewhere, but it's not super important to me. But what if I never? I'm 50 years old almost. What if I've never caught a foul ball? I never had that experience, and I want to keep it because <laughs> I, I would think about it. I want to put it at home with my sports memorabilia, but I have this stress of do I hand it to the small kid? And I think I would give it away, but I'm not 100% sure. I guess it depends on the situation. But is there an age? What age is it? Is it 18 when you can vote? Is it 21 when you can drink? Do you have to give the ball away? What if I have a young kid at home and I want to take it home to him or her? How do you explain that to the dad in front who's kind of giving you the look to give the ball away? So I don't know what the answer is. But I'd probably give it away now because my kids are older. But when, when, especially Ben, when he was playing baseball, if he was young, he was four or five, six years old, and I caught a foul ball, I'm keeping it. I'm taking it home for my kid. But that would be back in the day where everything wasn't recorded and on TV and you get canceled. So that's my question. What is foul ball etiquette? Have you ever done it? Have you given a foul ball? Ben actually got one at a Cubs game, foul ball, years ago. Um, we had pretty good seats again, probably thanks to Judy. But foul ball came. It hit the seat next to Ben. He was little. Landed in somebody else's lap. And the guy, Cubs fan, decked out in Cubs gear, walked over and gave it to my kid. And it's awesome. We still have it. It's in his room. So I'd probably give it away because I owe somebody. But I'm not sure. If Ben wouldn't have been there, I don't know. But have you ever done it? Let me know. Or don't let me know. I'll probably forget about it by the end of this podcast. Um, one more thing, and then I have a last tennis thing, then I'm done. I got things to do here. I got snacks to eat, so this is kind of uh, kind of getting my way of my hotel snacks and watching cops. The recently, and I don't. This is not a political thing, although it involves the political world. And if you've listened, I've changed this podcast over time to talk about some things that I find interesting and maybe are going on in the world. So this is not really tennis, although I'm going to turn it that way. The 
Senate, I believe, changed their dress code so no longer have to wear suits and ties, which I I personally don't agree with at all. They did it because this um, Fetterman dude likes to wear sweatpants and shorts, and he looks like a complete slob. And regardless of what side you're on, you can't argue with that. That's not an argument. I watched him today, and he looked terrible. He may be the greatest politician on earth, but he looks like that, which I think loses credibility. So my my opinion of it is I, I think people should be in that case. You've been elected to represent us. I think all of them should look professional, suits, ties. And this is coming from someone who currently does not own a suit or a tie and also doesn't even know how to tie a tie. I just don't live in that world, never have. Maybe someday I'll have to get a suit, but I don't have one. Um, and so I've heard some a, a, lot, a lot of talk about it lately, and my sort of thought on it is it's about the first impression. And you, if you want to dress like a slob, you have to earn that with relationships and trust of people. If they know you, they know who you are, what you're about, what you what your work ethic is, what your results are, then you can slowly back off on that. And maybe you want to be a little bit more comfortable around them. But first impression, you cannot look like this guy does. Right? And so when we go into the tennis world, if you walk into a club, let's say you come into the whack and I'm I'm in the lobby with Alex, and Alex looks professional. He's in his all whack gear. He's got his name tag on. He matches. Everything looks good. And then I'm next to him, and I have one piece of whack gear on. I've got mismatched shoes. I just look unprofessional and shaggy, and like I didn't take any time to think about what I looked like today. Who are you going to take the lesson from? guarantee you can't tell me it would be me it's gonna be alex that that's how we choose things now once you get to know alex you build a relationship over time and he's great he shows up on time he communicates well he's a great coach and he shows up one day looking a little less maybe he's got his hoodie on great you're not gonna care right he comes in one day just he starts getting a little more casual you don't care because you have that trust in him but you never know when those first impressions are going to happen. So I'm on team at least look correct for your career. And a politician's career is it's in public, right? That's all it is. You're the public face of your community, your state, whatever it is. And mine is tennis, so we have to look right. It's why the WAC wears uniforms and we wear name tags and we should all look alike. Because that first impression is every day. A new member walks in, they see me. I better look like I'm put myself together or it's not going to go well. We're not going to get that student. We're not going to get the member. I'm going to lose a client. But it's all about the relationships. If you know them well, go for it. I had, I've had coaches work for me who did not, I wouldn't say, put a lot of time into their tennis uh, uniforms. But, man, they were so good on the court, nobody cared. And that was who they are. I totally get it. But the first impression is the big one. 
and that's why I think we've got to. I always talk about wearing Crocs in public and when did sweatpants become regular pants, uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I sound super old now, which I am, so that's how I'm going to talk. But let me know, again, what you think about that stuff and who would you choose? Would you choose the coach who looks put together or the one who looks like they jumped out of bed and are colorblind? Who are you taking? And with that coach... I think you have to build long-term relationships for them to get away with not being prepared for you mentally, physically, and how they how they dress. So lastly, on the tennis side of things, um, I want you all to sort of think about how you pace yourself during a tennis match or practice or a drill. I do a lot of, I do what we call them drills at the WAC, but, you know, hour and a half with four people or eight people whatever it is, and I have to really pace people because they come out so fast, hitting too hard, taking too many risks, first ball of the day, 100 miles an hour, and and I think many struggle that there's, let's say it's a 90-minute class, you've got 90 minutes to go. You can't be full blast in minute one. You're going to waste energy. You're going to make a crap ton of errors. Crap ton, that's a word. I didn't invent it, but I love it. I'm going to... But I'm going to do a top 10 word list, and that's going to be in my top 10. But think about how do you pace yourself. Uh, most of my players, they generally seem happy to be there. They are excited. They're going to get to have some fun, see their friends, get some exercise, learn something, compete. It's their moment away from work, kids whatever it is, whatever they're going through. And so there's this excitement, and I generally have to slow people down and remind them that we've got a lot of time. We got I always say we've got lots of time and plenty of tennis balls. We don't need to be great right now. It's okay if you miss that shot. So what do you, what do, you do to pace yourself? When I played, especially as I got older, I was a slow starter. Like, I wanted to grind. I want to put a ton of balls in the court. The first three games are going to take forever. I'm going to work my way into it and see if I can wear this person down and figure out what what I need to do to be successful in this match. I never came out fast. That's just me personally. It was I, I still am. If, if you ever go for a, a run with me or a walk or a wog, man, my, my first mile is going to be 18 minutes. And then we're going to go down to 15, and then we're going to go to 10. And by the end, I'm at a pace I like, which is still incredibly slow. But I don't take off anymore. I could if I stretched. But how do you pace yourself? I, I think you got to mentally pace yourself, knowing that all right, it doesn't matter that I've warmed up poorly. It doesn't matter that I just missed a ball on the first point. Who cares? I'm, I'm, I'm building up to something something better. I have groups that I'll tell them you're not allowed to sweat in this portion. So when we start and we're just say you're going half court or hitting some close volleys, nobody should be sweating. We're not there yet. We're going to build up to that when you get back. And I always, I tell my groups, none of this matters until I add a score to it. Until there's a number attached to you and your partner, why are we going so fast? Why are we complaining about missing? Did anything change? Nope, there is no score. And then I will go to time to score. Now you're accountable. Let's start thinking about how you prepare and execute 
when I call a number out after each point. So keep that in mind as you go. Can you pace yourself? Are you a fast starter? And most are. I have so many people that come out. I also think there's the pressure of time. Indoor tennis, where we're at in Wisconsin, in the Midwest, there's a clock ticking. And every time that number changes, you're closer to losing your court. It's also a, a money attached to it. Every time it goes, it goes from 9 to 9.01, those are dollars. And I think there's a stress to that, that you want to get maximum quality out of the time and money you've invested. And I understand it, but if you will let your coach pace you, it'll actually end up being better even if you start slower because the second half of that drill is going to be a better quality. Think about it. I don't know if it makes sense at all because I'm staring at little Debbie's and Hostess cupcakes and I need to end this thing so I can have my snacks. But um, as usual, I appreciate y'all listening. Y'all, the two of you that are listening, thank you. And um, again, you can follow YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. It's all Scott Fix Tennis and Pickleball. And uh, love to hear your comments on any of the stuff we talk about. And if you've got any good questions for me, like Sean did, that you'd like to hear the answers, I'd love to put them out there. It's all out of being being curious so thanks everybody i will uh i'll see you next time i won't see you i won't even know if you're listening so i'll some of you i'll see isn't that a good way to to move on from this i'm so bad at this i'm gonna take podcast lessons (laughs) 